Did you make the team? Uh, did not. Oh, well, you could have made your layup, man. Like, yeah, it is. always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome, everybody, to the Anthony Irwin Show. Still weird. I'm Anthony Irwin. I'm joined today, special guest. I'm really excited for this one. It's really rare that I get to, to, to guarantee for you guys, you're going to get smarter by listening to this show. Uh, Nikias Duncan of Basketball News. He has a show called The Dunker Spot with Steve Jones Jr. He, he demanded that I call him the host of that show. <laughs> <laughs> Is this what we're doing? <laughs> Nikaias, thank you very much for, for hopping on with me. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you're crazy busy right now with all of the, like one of the best weekends, opening weekends of playoff basketball that I can really remember. Yeah, it was a hectic weekend of games. Like I enjoyed myself. I was also exhausted <laughs> staying up <laughs> to watch those games. Yeah. Um, watched all seven live and then missed Memphis Grizz, uh, the Memphis Jazz games late because I was recording the dunker spot with Steve Jones Jr., uh, actually just finished watching and threading that game before I hopped on here for the pod. So it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, while we're recording right now, we're finding out that the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell are in a feud over who gets to uh, make decisions on on his uh, well-being. So that's great. That's just <laughs> fantastic if you're, a, if you're a Utah Jazz fan. Um, my first question, I want to start here. Do you think the NBA didn't go far enough in making sure that the Lakers would win game one. I mean, like the free throw discrepancy was, was what it was. And, and I just, I didn't think they made it obvious enough. I thought they should have, I should, Lakers should have shot 50 free throws. Oh man. Uh, I'm glad you made, I, I will say the free throw discrepancy was a bit odd to say the least. <laughs> there are a few I think games it, like that. Yeah. It was what? 17, nothing. <laughs> in the first half or something like that and the yeah. Suns had more rim attempts which I mean like that stat by itself doesn't really do it just because I mean transition attempts and stuff like that but even even with that like 17 to nothing is just stark yeah it should have been 25 you know <laughs> <laughs> get it up to 30 we might have something you know <laughs> no I mean it, Harrison um made the joke that like the Lakers weren't close enough to <laughs> to, to those guys to foul <laughs> like they were they were playing enough defense to, to actually uh commit a foul but yeah so the, the 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 attention on this one is going to be on anthony davis he didn't play very well uh he he put the the, the onus on the game's result on himself said it was his responsibility uh laker fans are obviously really upset at uh the andre drummond minutes and uh the lack of marcus Saul minutes and and that's kind of where I wanted to start because I know that just based off of your tweets that you're kind of wondering where Marcus Saul is and, and what's going on there. And without getting into the dynamic that I'm sure is somewhat unique 
uh, with the Lakers and, and, and with LeBron and Anthony Davis, but, but without getting into that stuff, because we don't know anything about it, just from a basketball standpoint, why, why would Marcus Saul, in your opinion, if you think so, make, uh, make a difference with, with those Anthony Davis minutes? I think Mark Gasol, even presenting a half threat of shooting, just mm-hmm. opens up the floor for everyone. Because, mm-hmm. like, a- Anthony Davis was not very good in game one. We can no. just be frank about that. And Regardless Anthony of da- who was there, by the way. Right. Like, he wasn't good with Drummond, and then when Drummond wasn't out there, he also wasn't good. Right, right, right. And the thing with Anthony Davis, as good as he is, like, he does lean towards jumpers. Like, he mm-hmm. lets the jumper kind of set the tempo and the rest of his game is going to be. He is a guy that can get to the rim whenever he wants to. He can post over folks, but ultimately he wants to get the jumper going that sets everything else off. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> with that being the case, there's only so much you can criticize, like Andre Drummond being on the floor mm-hmm. because, you know, it's – it's obvious like when when they're on the floor together, like Andre Drum was kind of camping out in the dunker spot or hanging a little bit out of bounds on some positions mm-hmm. and just kind of underneath the basket. So that kind of limits the pathways that Anthony Davis has to attack. But Davis kind of leans towards the type of shots that he took in game one anyway. Yeah. But with that being said, like, again, the pathways are still limited with a guy like Andre Drummond out there and with Mark Gasol being able to shoot the ball when he wants to shoot it but also just by where the Lakers generally position him when he is on the floor, like during the mm-hmm. regular season, there was a lot of above the break stuff, a lot of high elbow stuff with him. And just by virtue of the positioning there, the big man, even if they're kind of ignoring Marcus Salt, they're around the nail or the free throw line instead of mm-hmm. being parked underneath the basket. So Anthony Davis has more room. If he doesn't want to take the jumper, he wants to pump and go, or, you know, face up and then drive that way. He has more room to operate. So I think yeah. Marcus All can loosen things up that way. And then he brings value as a passer if you want to kind of invert the offense a little bit. And he scored 90 points. <laughs> yeah, you might need more than 90 points to beat this Phoenix team. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I, I completely agree with everything that you said there. One of the things that I would, I've, I've been kind of noticing lately because like AD's jumper has kind of fallen off of a cliff of late. Mm-hmm. And and I think against this Phoenix team, like credit to Monty Williams, credit to that en- entire coaching staff. I thought they put together a really cool game plan on both sides of the ball. But one thing that AD was doing last year compared to this year was he was using the threat of blowing by somebody to set up the jumper. Whereas this year it feels like it's more of I'm going to use the jumper to pull somebody closer to me and then I'll be able to get to the basket. Mm-hmm. But like, nobody's going to get closer. Like, <laughs> like at the end of the day, you have to make a choice on this guy. And if the, the, the smart choice is always going to be, let him take that jumper. Right. You can't let him get to the basket. And then when uh, Marcus Saul is out there, like you said, the defense is in different positioning. So even if the, even if the defender does make that choice, which is certainly a choice to go out and defend him for the jumper, or like to take away the jumper, that means with Marcus all out there, there's less help when he gets to the rim. But when Drummond was there, if that defender went out and guarded AD more closely, well, the defender's still standing right there at the basket anyway. And you have six arms up at the rim whenever AD or LeBron or even Schroeder were trying to get to the basket. It was just, it was so cluttered and, and I'm not blaming every, I'm not blaming everything on Drummond. I thought the Lakers energy wasn't really good. And then it didn't matter. Like Drummond went off the floor 
80 got a lob dunk. And then that was about all the energy that he mm-hmm. kind of exerted on the, on the, on the rest of the game. Um, next question that I kind of have for you here is what, because obviously I paid a ton of attention to the Lakers. You've paid more attention to the rest of the league. I was kind of blown away by how much faster Phoenix was in every facet of the game than the Lakers. And I'm sure this is something that has been the case all season. They're a young team. They're an athletic team. But like, were, were you surprised at how, how, how stark a contrast that was between those two teams? Or did you was that one of the things that you were kind of looking for heading into the series? Oh, no, I'm right there with you um, with it being a surprise. Um, that was early in the first half. I remember they flashed the graphic that the Suns had 10 fast break points and the Lakers didn't have any. And I was like, huh, this is interesting because the mark of a Chris Paul team is taking a bunch of mid-range jumpers and also being in like the bottom third in the league in pace. They want to walk it out, walk it up, grind out possessions and just beat you with execution. Mm-hmm. So for the Suns to be able to get out and run a little bit, yeah. get into the offense a little bit earlier, like it just kind of flipped things on its head, particularly in the first half. So, yeah, that, that was something that kind of caught me off guard because I was worried about Phoenix and the half court coming into the series because as good as their players are, headlined by Devin Booker and Chris Paul, like they have smart shoot, they have smart cutters and spacers and Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder. Um, I was worried about the collective size of the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote kind of like a first round preview for basketballnews.com. And the point that I wanted to highlight most of all in this series was like, what is Chris Paul going to look like in pick and roll? Not because Chris Paul isn't great at pick and roll. We know he can make every pass in the book. We know he can shoot. But it's because he's going to be guarded by Dennis Schroeder, who is bigger and longer than him, or mm-hmm. Alex Caruso, who is bigger and longer than him. And then the bigs that he's going to be attacking is Andre Drummond, who for all his warts is a massive human being, mm-hmm. or Anthony Davis, who is one of the best defenders on the planet. Also and then, a massive human being. Also a massive human being. And then behind that, it's LeBron James on the back line who Mm -hmm. is a massive human and one of the best help defenders we've ever seen. So Mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, this is a lot of size to throw at the point of attack and just Mm -hmm. at the head of the snake for Phoenix. So what was that going to look like? But it it was just stark that they were able to kind of mitigate that early on in the game, being able to run. And then the Lakers also kind of let Phoenix off the hook because once they went to more Devin Booker initiating things, they just sent doubles and they kept sending doubles. And they kept sending doubles. And then Phoenix adjusts and they're flashing guys yeah. in the middle of the paint and getting easier looks from there. And it's just like, okay, well, if you're going to take Phoenix off the hook like this, then they have good enough and smart enough players to execute. And they did that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's funny. The the commentary from both sides of this, I feel, because I, I, I went and followed a few people from – who cover the Suns, and then obviously I follow a whole bunch of people who who care about and care, cover the Lakers. And the Lakers people are saying, well, they're not going to shoot that poorly again. LeBron and AD aren't going to both play that poorly again. Here's all this reason for optimism why things could turn around for the Lakers. But then the Suns people were saying, well, Jay Crowder went 0 for 7 from three-point range. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin Booker didn't shoot particularly well, 13 of 26, 3 of 7 from three-point range. Like the Suns people are saying, well, they can play better too. And so I'm kind of curious with you kind of sitting here in the middle, where, where, where do you stand on, where would you lean on reasons for optimism on either side? Um, I think if I'm just choosing one of the two to be more optimistic, like I think is the Lakers, because there is a lot more low hanging fruit. I would, we can start here. I have no idea how healthy Chris Paul is going to be for the rest of the series. Yeah. And yeah. like the fact that Chris Paul couldn't really dribble 
and like he had yeah. to alter the arc of his shot because he couldn't really work the shoulder. He started like that's it's not a visual medium, so you guys aren't going to see what I'm doing, but he was really turning his shoulders to get the ball up on the rim. Like he yeah. was turning back like an outfielder throwing somebody out from right field. It was crazy. Yeah. And again, to that point about Paul coming into the series, like he's already having to deal with a bunch of size. Mm-hmm. And like now he doesn't have the full range of motion. And to the point earlier about the Lakers sending these doubles to Devin Booker, you know, in the second half of, the, of that game, they kept, you know, they kept sending the doubles to Booker. Phoenix would keep flashing the guy to the free throw line. It's kind of they were basically running like zone breaker offense, which was hilarious to watch. But with that, towards the end of the uh, fourth quarter, they started helping off of Chris Paul. They were like, well, he's not going to shoot out there. So mm-hmm. we can still double Devin Booker and keep this like a four on four ordeal because yeah. we're just not worried about Paul shooting the ball. So the big question mark is like, what is Paul going to, is he going to play? And if he does play, how healthy is he? Because if he isn't, then the Lakers can send even more attention to Devin Booker. Mm-hmm. And that's putting a lot of stress on the other guys to make plays, particularly off the bounce. Cause like in terms of like your high level off the bounce creation, it's Booker and Paul and there's a massive drop off. Yeah. Like campaign has had a fantastic season off the bench this year, but like that's, that's a lot to trust him with particularly yeah, in the playoff setting. Like he's not that. So I think you start there. And then also this was a really weird LeBron game. It was. Like, I don't know how much I want to lean into the, the feel-out narrative with him, but, like, it was very clear that he was not super aggressive. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some obvious low-hanging fruit there for him to just force the issue a little bit. Yeah. They could put him in the post more. Like, that was one of the things that yeah. you, 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 can't, you can't do it when Drummond is out there or you can't really do it when Harold is out there because those guys are occupying a lot of the same space. You can't do it while AD and those guys are out there because AD – as a spot-up shooter, isn't going to be, you know, honored that much defensively. But he's being guarded by Mikhail Bridges, and I, I thought, one, Bridges is one of my favorite players in the league, especially mm-hmm. young players, and I thought he did a fantastic job on him, really kind of harassing him, uh, using speed to his to his benefit. But LeBron is a giant person, <laughs> and he's, he's a super strong guy. I thought we eventually might see, you know, kind of like the, the old uncle – playing in the backyard kind of thing where he just, yeah, you might be faster. You might be younger. You might be able to jump higher and all those things, but I am much bigger and much more experienced than you. And, and, and this is, I'm going to put you in hell down here, but the Lakers didn't really have that as an option, given some of the the lineups that they used. I, I'm also kind of curious. Aiden went off. Like I, maybe I haven't been paying attention as much attention to him this year as I should have, but he completely outplayed AD and was getting whatever he wanted on the offensive glass. He looked super comfortable defensively too, which was something that really kind of surprised me, not mm-hmm. just defensively on AD, but defensively on whatever the Lakers were running. I was really impressed by the game that he had there. Do you think that's replicable or do you think that was as good as we're going to see from, from Aiden? I think it's replicable if the Lakers don't throw out counters. <laughs> because I think what <clears throat> what made Aiton so good, particularly defensively, is that he knew what was coming. Yes. Like even when the Lakers downsized well, their version of downsizing anyway, when they went Anthony Davis at the five, like you mentioned at the top of the show, they got that lob for Anthony yeah. Davis to kick things off. And then it was just it was basically a bunch of ISO after that. Yeah. So like if you're just telling DeAndre Aiton, who is a massive human being with solid mobility in his own right, hey, Anthony Davis is gonna park here on the left wing. 
just stay in front of them, contest jumpers. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> That's right. fine. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> and this is something that we talked about in the dunkers bot as well. It was surprising that we didn't really see many instances or any instances. I've only watched the game live. I had to re- go ahead and rewatch before the game too. But on first watch, like I don't recall them running Anthony Davis off of any pin downs. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think he operated as a pick and roll ball handler at all. No inverted action there. Like they didn't really make DeAndre Ayton navigate anything. And that's mm-hmm. the thing with DeAndre Ayton. If you tell him going into a game, all right, you're going to drop on every pick and roll. Cool. I can do that. Yep. If you tell him we're going to switch every screen. Cool. I can do that. Once you start mix again, hey, drop on this, but we're going to switch this action. We're going to need a show and recover here and then go back to drop it. Once he has to navigate multiple actions in a possession, that's where DeAndre Ayton looks bad. And the Lakers did not put him in position at all to look bad. Like it was very vanilla offense. Like this is what we're going to do. This is how AD is going to get his touches. This is the high pick and roll we're going to run. And Ayton, once you simplify things for him, the, I mean, the athletic skills and tools just kind of shine for you. So he was able yeah. to do that. And with the Lakers, they were throwing, again, throwing the doubles at Evan Booker. There was some switching, um, a little bit more switching than I anticipated. And that's a point that Steve Jones made on the pod as well. Um, if you throw the ball up there and it's DeAndre Ayton fighting with like Kentavious Caldwell Pope for an offensive rebound, who do you think is going to win that battle? <laughs> like he just completely mashed yeah. smaller dudes on, on the offensive glass as well. So if that's, if that is the setup for DeAndre Ayton on both ends, like absolutely he's going to have a great series. That doesn't mean that Anthony Davis can't play better and shoot better and stuff like that and kind of neutralize him. But just in terms of what Aiton can do, he does have the size. He does have the motor to be a menace on the offensive glass. He does have the mobility to kind of hang in space against bigs on ISOs. He can play a drop. So if you're just not going to make him think, then yeah, Aiton's going to have a pretty good series. And if he has a good series, then Phoenix is going to have a shot at this. I would say more than a shot. If Aiton's going to play even with AD, I think that's a major win for Phoenix. That's mm-hmm. a that's a win that they never would have predicted heading into it. And then then it's on LeBron. And and to get back to what you were talking about a second ago with LeBron, with like the feel out that that, that was another point of optimism that that uh, Laker fans and Laker people covering this thing were, were saying was that well it was a typical LeBron game one. He likes to kind of take his time and see what looks they're getting and. And now he has all this in his mental bank. And, and obviously there's something to that because of the way that his, his career has gone. My question is whether you think he'll be able to recover from the vicious arm yank that, that Chris Paul gave him and, 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 and the state of his left shoulder, which, you know, might've fallen off, you know, for all that we know. <laughs> I will say like, as much as I love Chris Paul, I do think that particular play was at least a little bit questionable. A little suspect. It's just just a little bit. Like, to like somebody whose kid you're godfather to? Like, that was the part that I was thrown off of. (laughs) (laughs) He's now done it twice. Like, (laughs) you better Um, get the kid like a really nice birthday gift next time around, man. Because this is is getting crazy. Like, do I think Chris Paul went into that possession after the free throw thinking, all right, I'm going to try to get LeBron out of here? Like, no, of course no, not. No. But also, did I do I think he wanted to get physical and kind of blur the line a little bit and really fight for that loose ball? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, he's this so is much smaller that you have to do that. Like, if, you, if you're right. going to be physical with LeBron as the smaller person, you're going to have to do some shady stuff to know to make him know that you're there. That doesn't make it any less shady, though. <laughs> right, right, right. 
it was it was a little it was an iffy play the, the lakers thought so too after the game but but yeah like on a more serious note with lebron this is now a few games especially since the pelicans game where he re-aggravated that ankle injury where he hasn't gone up above the rim in a while and you, you could write it off with there isn't the runway uh, because of how cluttered the interior is, not just because of Drummond, Harrell, AD, but also because like KCP wasn't hitting yesterday, Dennis Schroeder wasn't hitting yesterday. Um, I think the Lakers missed 24 out of 26 wide open three pointers in that game. Mm-hmm. And so there's th- there was a play, I believe it was in the second half that LeBron was driving to the basket and I stopped it and I paused it and I said, there are five sons in the key right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you're not going to elevate over that. Not this stage, LeBron, he's not going to elevate over that, but still even on, on cases where he was in more isolation and was able to get to the, to the rim and it was just bridges or it was just another defender there. He still is, is more relying on physicality going through a defender versus doing any kind of vertical attacking. And I think that's something to really keep an eye on over the course of this thing. I think so as well. Like the Lakers, it, this is a, this is very dull analysis. So I'm sorry. This is a profound. The Lakers are going to need a better and healthier version of LeBron James. If <laughs> they hope to the make clip. a deep postseason run. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the clip that I throw on tomorrow's tweet. <laughs> like, like the, they're going to need that. And also like make things easier for him too. Yeah. Like the po- like yes, they can't put up point. they can post him up, but also like run something before posting him up just to get the defense shifting so he doesn't have to work so hard and he doesn't have to shoot over people. Mm-hmm. Like again, I'm working on the first watch right now. I have some notes that I typed during the game. I have to again I have to go back and rewatch. But like the Lakers run this play from the elbow, like horns flex, I think is what it's called, to where you pitch the ball to is either Marcus Gasol or is Andre Drummond, whoever they're running it. And then you have a screen in the corner. You have Anthony Davis in the corner. You have LeBron screen the form where you flip it. And when that guy dives to the rim, you give him a quick hitter if they force mm-hmm. a switch or whatever. I think they may have ran that once. Yeah. From my remembrance. And I'm just like, I mean, and you recall um, going back to the Lakers Sixers game earlier this season, like that's the play that they ran for Anthony Davis to get him the game winner. Mm-hmm. Or that would, would have been the game winner. If not for, I think Tobias Harris hitting the game winner or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like it's that play. And I'm just like, even basic quick hitters like that, that everyone yeah. knows on the scout report, but the Lakers have such immense talent and versatile talent in LeBron and AD that they can just run that all the time. And they yeah. probably don't have an answer for that. And even to that point with like the Suns in particular, Mikael Bridges is a fantastic defender. He doesn't have like the strength or like the density to bang with LeBron in that way. Right. Like Absolutely. that's a quick, that's a quick hitter to get LeBron a paint touch. And like, even if you're going to have under Drummond, on the floor, if he's passing the ball from the elbow, like that brings the defense out a little bit. Yeah. And that, that's a way to get under Drummond out of there a little bit. Also get your best players looks at the rim and do so with a scrambling defense. Like even stuff like that help LeBron out. But LeBron also has to press, you know, he has to put the fed to the middle a little bit. He has to force the issue. So, yeah, I, I agree completely. It was, it was, it was really weird the way that the Lakers went about this game. And I didn't want to, because if I say that the Lakers were super vanilla and uh, ran a generic kind of almost a regular season type, you know, game plan for this thing, mm-hmm. it feels like I'm riding off the suns. So I tried to avoid that as much as I possibly could, but 
also he ran a super vanilla offense almost a regular season game plan for a playoff <laughs> game and 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 so that that's just kind of the reality of the situation i i just i found myself a lot of times like the the, the lakers individual energy and then team-wide energy like lebron i think started the game with getting blown by on a closeout and then getting beat back door it was like right at the beginning of the game mm -hmm. uh defensively and i'm just thinking oh we're we're doing this again. Cool. <laughs> right, right. And then and then KCP starts missing wide open shots. I'm like, oh, it's the Portland game. This is <laughs> this is what we're doing. This is Portland game one of last year. All right, we're 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 in for this kind of a game. And then AD, I think it took him till the third quarter to get into double digits. And you just mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Phoenix, you got game one. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you back here for game two. All right. That's really good stuff on game one. Let's look ahead to the rest of the series and then and then we'll we'll get out of here on our on our fun little game to, to wrap up the show. How how where are you standing here? Phoenix is up one zero. The Lakers lose this game uh and and look really bad in the process. And mm -hmm. Phoenix, I thought, you know, there were stretches where I just thought this should be a 20-point game. So you could say that Phoenix didn't look incredible in in that game. So how do you think the rest of the series plays out? Um, well, full disclosure, like I picked the Lakers in six before the series, which hurt my heart because I've been on the Suns <laughs> bandwagon yeah. all season long. And I was like, well, I, I said they have a real path to the finals if, mm -hmm. you know, depending on how to break it, how the bracket breaks out. So, of course, they get the literal one team <laughs> that, that that didn't want them to face and they get them <laughs> right. in the first round. So I already had Lakers in six. And now with the Chris Paul shoulder thing, like I, I really don't feel like I could pick Phoenix in good conscience. So I do think the Lakers are still in good shape. Mm -hmm. But like, man, they they got to turn it up, though. Like, yeah, to your point, it did feel very regular season-y mm -hmm. for the Lakers on both ends and just kind of how they attacked Phoenix on both ends. Like the the doubles on Devin Booker was different. Mm-hmm. But then once Phoenix started countering that, it didn't feel like the Lakers did much to counter that counter yeah. either. Oh, shucks. You got us. <laughs> That's it. And <laughs> well, so, like, and I guess at that point, they kind of knew Phoenix had game one. So maybe it's Frank Vogel just kind of waiting to shift things in game two. Wouldn't, put, wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so I think the Lakers are going to be fine. Like, as much as we complain about the things they did and didn't do in game one, like, all of it is such low-hanging fruit, which adds to the frustration because if it's low-hanging fruit, why not just grab it? But mm – -hmm. It is low-hanging fruit at the end of the day. So I anticipate a better effort, more aggression from LeBron, more varied attacks from Anthony Davis, just to kind of put some strain on DeAndre Ayton in particular when they do go brow at the five. Like, I think the Lakers are still fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. The, the, there are moves that the Lakers could make. Like, there, there are just some series. I remember the, the series against Dallas where the Lakers got swept, and I believe that was in 2000. 10 or 11, 11? whenever it was 11. So it, it, when, whenever, whenever uh, Phil Jackson punched Pau Gasol in the chest, like I remember watching that and I said, Oh, there's nothing the Lakers can do here. They mm -hmm. can't keep up with the ball movement. There's the, you know, and, and they're hitting twos to Dallas's threes. Like this is just over. This is not something that, that is going to continue mm -hmm. uh, in this one. I, I do think there are things that the Lakers can do to, to counter and, 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 and actually throw their fastball which is which is a good thing all right let's uh so this is uh box messed around and and gave me my show and mm -hmm. i want to end this thing on on a little bit of fun i am kind of known on twitter for the churro stumble 
Um, and, and my, you know, super embarrassing sports moment was captured on camera and has now been on the internet in documentary form. So, Oh yeah, it's, 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 it, I'll shoot you the link. It's a uh, Harrison's wife put it together. It's, it's, it's a really funny little thing. We did the last prance instead of the last dance. Um, <laughs> oh no, I got to yeah. check this out, dude. <laughs> Uh, but so, so everybody knows my super embarrassing sports moment. Nikias, do you have one? Do you have one that like the immediately that you think of, oh my God, I can't believe that happened to me one time on whatever court. Uh, I guess the one, the one that comes to mind, I'm trying to remember what grade I was in. I was either in eighth grade or ninth grade. Either way is a basketball tryout very Mm -hmm. early in the tryout. Um, ended up going fine, but like just got off to an awful note. Uh, we kicked things off with, I want to say it was just, yeah, just layup lines mm-hmm. as like the coaches are walking around they had like different lines set up at different baskets in the, in the gym or whatever. So it's going through them like I'm making my layups because they're layups. So mm-hmm. then we get towards the end of that before we get into, I think running was next. They want to do like suicides or whatever, whatever we're allowed to call them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I get the ball for the, like the last layup before they end the layup lines and mm-hmm. At this point, the head coach of the team is, like, on the baseline in front of me. So, like, I get ready to go up for the layup, and I, like, lose the ball as I'm going up. Oh, no. And then regain possession of the ball while I'm going up in the air, and I try to lay it up, and I basically airball it. Oh, no. And, I, <laughs> and it's just, like, in a vacuum and whatever, lost the ball. But, but like, to do that in a tryout, and then, like, that is the moment that the coach is actually at our line. I was just like, ah, well, this is uh, <laughs> this is just a tad bit unfortunate, isn't it? Again, like made all my other ones. Like that's the one. Yeah, yeah. The, you couldn't yeah. you couldn't have sneezed right then, or you couldn't have turned around for the reverse I made a second ago. But yeah, this- it's just like yeah, that's the one. So like yeah, <laughs> did it, you make that, the team? Uh, did not. Oh well, but, you yeah, made your layup, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's all right. Weird. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you hearing me there at the very end. Uh, I, I'm telling you guys right now, all of his content, whether it's on Twitter, the the, the game threads that he puts together are fantastic. Uh, the, the writing that he does for basketball news is also fantastic. And that dunker spot with Steve Jones Jr. If you guys enjoy the dynamic between Harrison and me, where we spend basically the majority of the show taking shots at each other, you're going to enjoy the dunker spot (laughs) (laughs) and then to watch and then to watch those shots from the show creep over to the timeline. Like that's just, that's just good stuff. So uh, thank you very much, Nikias for hopping on given how uh, busy I'm sure you are. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Nikias Duncan of basketballnews.com and of the dunker spot podcast. Make you make sure you guys are checking out all of that stuff Um, today. I do want to give you guys a reminder on our way out here. Lakers lowdown every weekday morning. Brand new long four show uh, every afternoon, uh, Sundays through Thursdays. And uh, and to continue to check out all the great stuff at silverscreenroll.com. Have a good one.